You're listening to the Writers Off The Page podcast. Here's your host, writer, reader, journalist, and lover of soy latte, Sinead Maripodi. Hello everyone, and thanks for joining me for Writers Off The Page, where we talk books, writing, and publishing with those in the know. Joe Dabrowski is a children's author, illustrator, and an occasional copywriter. She lives in Melbourne with her husband and two boys, and although she grew up eating and enjoying most Polish food, she can't recommend cabbage stew. Today she joins me to talk about her gorgeous and hilarious middle grade novel, Get Your Act Together, Doris Kozlowski. Joe Dabrowski, welcome to Writers Off The Page. Thank you. Thanks very much, Janae. Thanks for having me. Now, Jo, I wish I had this novel when I was in primary school and going through that really awkward stage of trying to fit in and find myself. It is absolutely gorgeous. Congratulations. Oh, thank you very much. I wish I had it when I was in primary school too, to be honest. <laughs> okay, before we get into things, tell people a little bit about Get Your Act Together, Doris Kozlowski. Okay, so um, Get Your Act Together, Doris Kozlowski is a mouthful, much like Doris <laughs> Um, it's about an 11-year-old Doris. She's just about to start, well, she's starting year six and she lives with her sort of her, well, she lives with her family, her mum, and who is really uh, theatrical and over the top. She's a drama teacher and she really, her big secret dream, it's not so secret actually at all, um, is that she'd love to be the star of a musical. She, But she, um, while she's sort of auditioning for various amateur productions, she's also trying to make more money on the side by being in TV commercials and she is consistently embarrassing Doris because she's in this series of ads where she's dressed up as a singing vegetable. <laughs> Just what you want as a kid. Yeah, and Doris has a little brother called Howard who is slightly quirky as well. His head is full of facts and lots of information that he's always spouting off and willing to share non-stop which sort of makes it a little bit hard for Howard to relate to kids his own age and so he is constantly befriending um, pebbles and potatoes <laughs> and they also live with their butcher who is um, Doris's maternal grandmother and butcher is Polish for grandma and basically butcher is like a lot of Polish grandmas I'm sure a feeder so she's just quite obsessed with food and is ever has everyone eaten enough and there's a lot of pork and potato products um, going on in their house and so Doris is uh, she's she deals with sort of living with her quirky family and she's thankful that she's got her best friend Felicity who's really lovely nice kind of um, more straightforward and comes from a more kind of I'm doing air quotes here that you can't see because it's a podcast of so a more sort of stereotypical kind of normal family and so Doris uh, is grateful for her friendship because she feels that that lets her sort of slide under the radar as well. But unfortunately, at the very beginning of Year 6, for reasons that aren't clear to Doris to begin with, Felicity has ditched her for the far more popular girls at school. And so the book is about Doris having this idea about how she really needs to win Felicity back and it's she does that via a school talent show that happens in term one and um and so she has all these sort of crazy ideas about how she can convince Felicity to be friends with her again. Friendship is such a big thing at that age, isn't it? I remember back to it and just that it, still to this day, friendships are very interesting things when you start to analyse them, but particularly at that really vulnerable age when you're kind of finishing up primary school, 
I'm sure there are so many people and adults who will read what Doris is going through and go, oh, God, yeah, I was there and it sucked. Yeah, it really is, isn't it? It, it, it is. It's so army feel. Do you know, I mean, you spend so much time at school, especially, don't you, and you just, the schoolyard, if you don't have a best friend or a little group of friends or something, can be such a lonely place. I mean, lunchtime can just go forever, can't it, if you're on your own. <laughs> <laughs> and and so yes, it was. It, I do. I do distinctly remember that feeling as well of um kind of going through primary schools. I did have one best friend, and um and uh, without her, basically, you know, I would have been one very lonely kid. <laughs> <laughs> so tell me, where did the initial seed of an idea come from? Um, so Doris probably it, she the character for Doris had Doris. Kozlowski or Kozlowski, however you want to say it, herself came, she came to me quickly. She was like really clear in my head right from the start. I could see exactly how I wanted her to be. So she's not, it's not at all autobiographical. I always think that she's, Doris is, um, despite her insecurity, she's a lot more kind of confident and sassy than I ever was when I was her age. But, um, but she, uh, she, I just, I wanted to, I could, I could sort of, I don't know, she just sort of came to me in my head, this little girl who wasn't, she's not like overly talented at anything. She doesn't have any kind of special uh, quirks or interests. She's just kind of an ordinary kid that wants to fly under the radar a bit and um, and just kind of get through um, to secondary school, just sort of enjoy year six. And, and, um, and it was after I had the idea for her that then sort of the story started to build around that but I'm not I can't I can't tell you exactly I guess where Doris came from but then um her I knew that I wanted to have some element of her having a Polish family in there and I knew that um Howard her little brother I could see him really clearly as well her butcher I could see really clearly (laughs) and and um Though she's not, I have to say this, she's not at all based on my mum, who is a butcher to my two boys. And um, and so, but she is sort of, I have known a lot of Polish butchers over my lifetime. And she's sort of an amalgamation of, um, or has been inspired by some women from my past. But um, does that answer your question? Because I feel yes. like, yeah. <laughs> We need to talk about the Polish food and I have to say I was trying to think, I was like, I don't think I've actually eaten a lot of Polish food ever, but I feel like you've painted such a clear picture that now I assume, A, it's delicious, but that it smells terrible. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It does. does. When something's been sitting on the stove, it's like meat in water never smells good, does it? So anything (laughs) you're boiling, whether it's like a chicken or pork or whatever, you put it in a pot with some I don't know whatever else is going on there seemed to be a lot of um when I was little my mum used to always use something she'd call marianic which is is marjoram which I've never used in cooking but it's quite it's got quite a unique smell so yes I do smells in the kitchen are a big um memory for me from my own childhood and although I did um as like you read out in my bio at the start I did really love my mum's cooking and I still do but there were some questionable dishes and I have never been a fan of uh cabbage of any sort and uh sour it's basically sauerkraut bigos you say in Polish and it's um cooked cabbage and it's um I'm, I'm not a fan of it 
And you talked about as well, obviously, the idea of poor Doris taking it to school in her lunchbox. And even yeah. I remember as a kid, you're coming home going, Mom, that one wasn't a good one to put in my lunchbox. It, that yeah. one smelled like as a kid. Yeah. Oh my gosh. And I think back then as well, you know, we didn't, I mean, my mum didn't, we didn't use um, Glad Wrap for summer. She was always baking things in, in kind of like baking paper, like greaseproof paper. And this, I do remember the smell. I loved Polish sausage and mustard, I loved it. But when you open your lunchbox, especially in the summer and it's been hot in your school bag and, you know, I grew up in the 80s and a lot of kids back then, they had like chip sandwiches, you know, like Samboy crisps or whatever in their sandwiches. And I couldn't believe that they had, you know, that was amazing to me. I think by some stage I probably did ask her, especially in the early years, to stop. And I remember having jam sandwiches, which does explain probably the amount of fillings that I have. But, um, but I was allowed to just have jam in my sandwiches at school because that didn't smell. I know some kids now, I know some of my nieces and nephews, granted they are in a hotter city, having fridges to put their lunchboxes in or even the amount of ice packs that kids have in their bag. I'm like, oh, I don't think oh, I God. ever had an ice pack in my bag. And I mean, things survived. I don't know what condition they were in by the time lunchtime, yeah, yeah. lunchtime game. <laughs> no, no ice packs for us. Definitely not back then. No, we didn't. No. <laughs> So what went into creating this story from, I suppose, you having that idea and getting it down? Was it a long time to come to fruition or how did it work? Oh, yes, it was a long time. Yeah, <laughs> I went into it um, very naively, basically. I had, um, I had obviously, it's I'd never written, written a novel before and I had, um, I had written a couple of, um, picture books and they I had really enjoyed that process and I had a really I and I had done a couple of courses through the Australian Writers Centre just like short courses online and in the it was a course called um I think it's called writing I think it's writing for kids it was basically I, I can't remember writing for kids and it wasn't and young adults I'm not sure but it was um writing chapter books for kids I think it was called and um and the last assignment was to do a diary entry from the perspective of a teenager. And the advice was that, you know, you'll always have teenage characters or you may have teenage characters in your writing if, you know, their children in it have older brothers and sisters. And um, and so I, when I did that, I really, I found that I just really enjoyed the process of writing that last assignment. And the tutor gave me really positive feedback about how much she enjoyed reading it and how many times I'd made her laugh. And um, quite naively, I took that on and thought, oh, well, if I could write that, which was that must have been like 150 words, surely I can write a novel. And um, and it was, um, yeah, like I said, it was really, it was incredibly naive. What I took out of the course is that I did, the part that I did spend a lot of time on at the beginning which did help later on was I did a lot of um, sort of character breakdowns or outlines. I'm not sure if that's um, if that's how you work, Sinead, when you do, uh, you know, when you were writing. I'm not as organised as that, no. But no yes. I would like to work <laughs> like that. <laughs> I promise the organisation falls away right after that. Then you'll hear about the tears. Um, <laughs> so it, I did do a whole like, you know, Doris is like this and she looks like this and this is what she wants and Felicity, who is her best friend, she's like this and Anna, the mum, is like this and this and um, 
and I have this, I still have this whole folder about, and that that really helped me. I didn't necessarily didn't refer back to it a lot, but I think having done the work at the beginning made them really clear in my head. And um, and I did, I'd like had images of what the interior of their house would look, look like. I drew a little map of um from the walk from home to school, because that happens a lot in the book. And I wanted to have it clear in my head of when they turn left and when they cross the road. And um, and so I had all of that was clear. Her little world was clear and the people in it were clear to me. But when I started writing it, I was an idiot, basically. I just sat down and started going chapter one, tap, 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 tap. And just, I think I probably just expected the whole thing to flow. And so it wasn't, it was um, once it had been accepted the, um, by a firm press, we did a, a big structural edit and um and things, a lot of things got moved around and things I had to flesh out other characters and it has changed a lot from the first draft to the book that it is um, today and I'm really like so super grateful for that. It's a hundred times better. I actually forced myself to open the first um, this my the manuscript that I submitted and I look at it and go, what? What were they thinking? I can't believe they said yes to that. Um, and so it was it was a long process and we were also in lockdown in Melbourne. And so both of my boys were at home and there was a lot of like, Mum, I don't understand this question. And so there's a, a lot of interruptions on their homeschooling. And so basically this is my long answer is that, it, yes, it was a very long process and there was a lot of crying. There's always a lot of crying. I think any author that says that there was no tears, well, they're very stable and I'm definitely not that, that I'm not that person at all. So you talked about the publishing process and getting it in front of a firm. How did you get it in front of them? Was it via the slush pile or with an agent or something else? No, I had, I already have had a relationship with a firm because they had, um, they, we were in the process of, I had had a, a picture book manuscript accepted and then a second one after that. And we were turning them into board books and so we were in the process of making those when I finished writing Doris and um and that's when I submitted them basically like directly to Meg Whelan who is my editor and um I should also say that I had a, a an amazing opportunity before um the when I finished the manuscript or when I thought I'd finished the manuscript is that um, was it two, it was a few years ago now, there was the, the do you remember the bushfires and yeah. in New Wales and the authors, a group of authors got together and I think they called the, it was called Authors for Fireys or something. Yeah, and there was the big um, auction type. Yeah. So yeah, I remember the one. And, um, and Karen Foxley, whose work I adore and I'm an enormous fan, especially of Lenny's Book of Everything, she had was donating a manuscript assessment. And um and my husband, who is um really very incredibly supportive of my work and also really competitive, I said to him, Oh, that would be really good if she could I could get her to read my manuscript. And he went, Oh, all right, baby, and took the opportunity. <laughs> you know, like, I love that. <laughs> um, and bid, 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 and he stayed up <laughs> until whenever the auction closed and um and bid. And so Karen, I had gave her the first um, draft of it and she gave me a, such a, an amazingly thorough manuscript assessment that that really helped me get it into shape when I submitted it to a firm. Do you think it helped, obviously, the fact you already had the picture books in with a firm? I've heard a lot of authors say 
you know what, it doesn't necessarily get easier as books go on. But in terms of getting published, just having being in a position to have those conversations, do you think that makes a difference for continuing to get work published? Um, well, I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> I hope that's not the end of it now. Um, <laughs> uh, so um, I think so, though, because you have a, yeah, it, it does. I don't, I don't say, do you know, I have, I have, I'm not submitting to a, do you know, I like, um, submissions at a firm press or whatever that email address is. You know, I have someone's email address. So I can, we have a, yeah, we, we're talking about something else anyway. I remember I had to catch up with um, Meg and Tash Besleyev, who is the um, director of, of children's, the publishing, children's publishing head. And um, and she, and so we'd had a conversation. I remember like at the end of that meeting, say, asking if they'd had a chance to read it yet. And so it was. It definitely does make a difference, I'm sure, and it doesn't. You know, I'm hoping it makes. I have started working on another middle grade novel, and so I'm hoping. You know, fingers tightly crossed that, that it's easy for me to submit this one as well. I can't. You know, you, you never know. But I've I have um had conversations with them since then about other picture books, and so yes, it does. It does for me. In my like tiny limited experience, it has made it easier to already have that relationship with them. Yes. I'm going to put you on the spot and please take a moment if you need to think about it. When you said that, you know, the first draft of the manuscript really changed a lot when you started working with edits, do you remember what sort of feedback you were getting in terms of areas that you needed to think about that perhaps you wouldn't have considered by yourself? Uh, I think yeah. it's always handy for writers kind of, when they're hearing someone else to think, you know, oh, yeah, hmm, let me think about my work and what I'm doing and, yeah, that would be useful to think about that. Um, I think, yes, uh, I can, I know specifically there was the, um, f- I had a specific feedback about Doris's mum, about her character needing to be fleshed out and what was going on in her life. And I know exactly why um, she wasn't as sort of as prevalent, didn't come up as much in the first draft and that, I'll, you know, if I'll be honest, it was like probably just sheer laziness. Or <laughs> I just thought, oh, no one needs to know about that. I'd have written, surely I've written enough words now. I don't need to flesh that out now. But um, but I could see any feedback that I got only ever um has only made the book better. Like I'm sure that there are authors who are, you know, far more um talented and far more experienced than and I am who would, can get feedback, will get feedback from the editor and go, oh, no, that isn't what I meant and I'm not changing that or whatever. But any, I, like, was leaping on everything that they were saying going, oh, yes, yes, that you're right, that would make it better and that would. And so I have found um, I really trust their advice and I think that um, it was. it's really nice as well. I think you can you just get so caught up in your own little world, don't you, if you're just writing your own, you know these people and, you know what you mean when you're saying it and it's so nice to give it to someone else who cares about it just as much as you do and they come at it and go, oh, that's not making sense or that isn't coming across or that. And I I would never have picked up on those things unless you have sometimes, you know, it's that thing how they always tell you to rest a manuscript. I think that does come with resting it and you come back to it and go, oh, yeah, that really isn't as funny as I thought it was or why have I put that there or that that sort of that's a too big a leap or something that having space and time from it, but definitely having an outside opinion, I have um, found that incredibly valuable, yes. I feel like we're two peas in a pod because I've had that exact same feedback about thinking about 
the adults in the book and fleshing them out or secondary characters that I've kind of gone, oh, yeah, they've got this personality and I've kept it really consistent and there's been that moment of, but what else do they do? Because they're all different and there is that, I suppose, that ease of we all think about the character arc for our main characters in particular and the characters that are always on the page and I think it is. I think it would be a common thing to not flesh out secondary characters or other minor characters in books. Yeah, yeah I guess so. I guess so because I think also- I hope so. I'm telling myself that anyway. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so everyone's like that, yes. Um, uh, yeah, I think I think so. I think I know for me when I was working on it, I think, I don't know, I, um, there was sort of, I felt like she lived in my head for so long there was probably a little bit of impatience as well of like, surely it's finished, surely like I can just, this is enough and everything. And so- it was um so I'm, I feel really lucky that at the in the state that it was in I know when I submitted it it was around the 30,000 word mark and now it's almost at 60 so I've obviously I did flesh her out didn't I you know <laughs> and that's an awful lot of fleshing it didn't feel like close to 60 actually it is a really like I think cuz it is just such a light enjoyable read I didn't so, feel like I was reading a really, really long novel. No, yeah. And so, so oh, that's good. That's good. <laughs> so it's, uh, yeah, I just, I know that, yeah, it did, it did, um, it definitely structurally, it changed and um, some events changed and there was, there, I, it did have to add a lot, a lot more detail. And I, and I am, you know, grateful for that, happy with the result. So what's next for you? Well, um, right now I am starting, I keep telling myself, and now that I've said it out loud, now that you're, and it's being recorded. It's it's, this is on the record here now. Yeah. And now <laughs> I really have to, I have started writing a, another middle grade novel for the same age group. And this is another sort of, it's come to me again, this, I have a clear picture of an 11 year old girl. She's quite different to Doris and her family situation is different and her, she and her sister and her grandma, I can't get grandmas out of my head apparently. They're great um, characters in books. It's not Polish though and um, and they're very clear and her mum is really clear in my head but, um, but this time I am trying to approach it differently where I have, I have actually forced myself to sit down. I've done a thing with the post-it notes and I've been, moving things around and I've written a chapter outline and I want to come at it from a, so that's when I did actually end up doing a chapter outline, but it was only after the first structural edit where Meg and I had had a meeting and she said, you know what I think would help? And I'm, cause I kept, every time I shifted something around and I think, well, this solves it. I had to keep rewriting the things around it. And then if like we had a conversation and Meg said, oh, I'm not sure why that's there now. I think, oh, but I rewrote that and that. <laughs> I've got to stop doing all that stuff. And um and so um I sort of that's what I did. I kind of do things back to front. So this time I'm trying to be more organized in that sense, where I have done sort of um character outlines and I've done a chapter outline and things I've started to write it, but things keep popping back into my head that I keep adding to the chapter outline. So I don't I don't know. I don't, I don't know how everyone, obviously we don't know everyone works differently and we don't, can't see how everyone else is working. I don't know if I'm doing it right. I'm just I don't think of- there's a right from, I've spoken now to more than 100 authors and I'm starting to realise I don't think there's a right. 
everyone just has their own version of what everyone calls a messed up process. Right, somehow it comes together. <laughs> oh, no, that's at the end of this, I was hoping that you'd say, get off it and say, Joe, you're really doing this right. Um, so now this is like, you now. You sound I- very similar to me, though. If that, I, that's probably no form of comfort whatsoever. <laughs> it's giving me comfort. <laughs> so I, I hope that I'm, I'm trying to, yeah, I'm trying to have a clearer picture so that I don't um, end up tripping myself up later and going, oh, but that doesn't make any sense because I I know how it's going to end. And um and but I also get I still get impatient when I think, oh, enough of the chapter outline. Let's just start writing and then. So, but I think I probably come, mm, I I can see how I can keep going to a point and then maybe I'll have to stop and really check the outline again and make sure that everything's falling into place. I'm not sure. So I'm trying, yeah. And you're an illustrator as well. Have you got anything in the works there, any more picture books or? No, I have got a couple of picture books that um, are, are on the go but these aren't my my illustration style is something that it's it's just paper collage work and it's really kind of um bold and colorful and simple and I think it works well for the board books but it isn't it isn't the area that I feel most comfortable in I'm definitely more comfortable with words than with pictures and um and so as much as I enjoy the process and I can see myself Depending on the the picture book, I could see myself doing it again, but not with every picture book. And the ones that I'm uh, working on at the moment are far more more kind of more involved, and it's uh, and I don't want to illustrate them. Myself. I don't trust myself. Oh, is it interesting working with another illustrator when you're an illustrator yourself? Oh no, I haven't. We're only at the very beginning. Oh, okay. Process of choosing people. Yeah. So yeah. stay tuned. Yes. Yeah. Joe Dabrowski, thank you so, so much for joining me. You're welcome. It's very nice to chat. Thanks, Janae. And thank you for listening to the Writers Off The Page podcast. Make sure you check out the back catalogue and while you're there, I'd love it if you left a rating or review. It helps other people discover the podcast. If there's an author you want me to chat to or you just want to say hi, hit me up on Facebook, Instagram or Twitter at Shanae Maripodi. That's C-H-E-N-E-E. Thanks for listening. Bye.